We focus on the capital stack so you can get your deals done right. We are Bo Baker and Anne-Marie Garavaglia from the Capital Markets Group at Ackerman LLP. Ackerman is a top 100 U.S. law firm ranked in the AmLaw 100, recognized as a leading real estate firm by the commercial property executive, distinguished among the most forward-thinking firms in the industry by the Financial Times, and ranked among the top five large law firms for highest representation of women, as well as a top four large law firm for diversity by Law 360. Ackerman is focused on growing their real estate capital markets group which currently consists of 25 attorneys throughout Florida, New York, Georgia, California, North Carolina, Colorado, Texas, and Illinois. Our team of experts will guide you through complex transactions to navigate change, these opportunities, and help drive innovation and growth. In short, we will help you stack your capital stack to get your deals done right. Welcome to the Stacked Up Podcast. I'm excited to introduce our special guest today, Lisa Pendergast. She's the Executive Director of CREFC. That's the Commercial Real Estate Finance Council, which is probably the leading trade organization for the commercial real estate finance industry. Lisa and I will discuss her business background, conference updates, borrow relief, COVID-19 impacts on commercial real estate, government relations, Changing Market Landscape, LIBOR, and more. So, Lisa, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Bo. I appreciate being asked. Yeah, yeah. We're f- excited to have you on. Um, we've we've talked, you know, with a, a ton of in- industry uh, participants about Crestsea in the past. We've, we've been to conferences and, and, and interviewed people, like I said before. Um, but we've never met Lisa Pendergrass. Like on the show, we want to hear some some good details, some juicy details about Lisa. What's your history? Where did you come from? I understand you weren't always in a leadership role with a trade organization. You've actually been heavily involved in CMBS, debt and equity in the commercial real estate finance industry. Tell us a little bit about your history and about, about you. Sure, sure thing. Um, I, again, I think you're right. This is uh, marks my fourth year being at uh, at Crepsi as the executive director. Uh, I am thoroughly enjoying it. Um, we could uh, probably enjoy it a little bit more if um, COVID would find its way to the exit. Um, however, say, having said that, you know my experience and my history really isn't in the trade association business, although I had been a member of Crepsi since you know almost the very beginning. Um, so a couple of decades worth of, of Crepsi prior to joining. Um, what I did do in the industry was um, mostly focused, I was a research analyst in the CMBS space, um, focusing not only on private label CMBS, but the agency um, CMBS marketplace, multifamily lending. Um, so did pretty much approached it as a research analyst and, and frankly thoroughly enjoyed doing that to me, digging into this market um, was just, just fun. And the fact that it is a sort of an interjection between real estate markets and finance markets. And for me, both of those things are extremely compelling, fascinating, interesting. Um, and so it, it's been a fun business as far as I'm concerned 
to be involved in. I, I think what I'm happy uh, to, to know now is that sitting in the seat at CREPC, all of that previous experience has really helped um, me um, and I hope the, the association and the industry such that when we're talking to legislators and regulators and we're talking even amongst our own members of on ways how to improve our industry, how to make you know, reporting better on, on how loans are being serviced, et cetera, um, and a, a myriad of other issues, uh, it strikes me that that history has helped. And, um, and certainly when you talk to, you know, as I said, regulators, legislators, being able to say that I do have some history in how these things have developed over the years, have kind of watched the market develop, uh, it certainly has been um, helpful in those conversations, and it, it kind of gives we at Crepsi a certain level of credibility when talking to those folks. So, for any of the listeners that that don't know what Crepsi is, or uh, can like a couple quick sentences, what does Crepsi do? And you were the previous president of Crepsi when you were on the business side. So, if anybody knows this organization, it's you. Tell us just a just a couple quick seconds. Sure. Um, I think CMBS was the main focus of CREPC when it was CMSA and CSSA. Um, and to the extent, though, that to the good, the organization has um, broadened its reach over the last decade or so, such that it's not just a securitization-focused um, commercial multifamily real estate association. We have the, the balance sheet lenders um, from the life company side, from the banks. We have all of the debt funds, many of which kind of were born out of the previous financial crisis. Um, and then we have all the debt investors and third parties um, associated with all of those components of the business. So to the extent that we cover a lot of territory, um, the GSEs are under our roof, um, I think it makes for a very holistic approach to some of the issues. And I must say that, you know, having my a CMBS background, um, I'm sort of acutely aware of that and to make sure that whatever we do as an association, that we're reaching out not just to the securitization markets, but also to those other lender types and the debt investors, be they in securitizations or, say, or some of the other debt forms like a MES loan, a purchaser, or whoever. Um, and so having that macro view, I think Crepsi over the years, even prior to my, my joining, um, has really grown as an industry association. And the more that you can deliver, you know, especially when you think about advocacy um, to legislators and regulators um, on how the macro industry is performing, what are those issues that are pertinent to all of those entities um, and silos, if you will? And whenever there are issues like COVID, frankly, where all of those markets are being negatively or positively impacted, but certainly negatively when it comes to COVID, um, it allows us to speak with a, a pretty strong voice um, when thinking about how we want to advocate and what the industry needs today. Good. Thank you for that. Let's talk fun for a minute, and then I think we'll dive into uh, some more dense subjects and topics. Um, one fun thing that, that Cressy does and, and leads the nation in this regard is you host two, at least two major conferences every year. Typically, there's the January conference in Miami Beach at the Lowe's Miami Beach Hotel, and then there's the June conference in New York, both East Coast conferences, 
very well attended. Thousands of commercial real estate finance uh, industry professionals at those events. Everybody is eager to get back. Well, a lot of people are eager to get back to in-person events. I have heard from a lot of our listeners. Is there any chance that we're going to have any in-person events next year in 2021? Yeah, that's a great question, and it's something, obviously, that we've spent um, a considerable amount of time focused on. Uh, I think it's safe to say that January will not be a, an in-person event. That will be another virtual conference for us, um, and I think we'll take some of the cues that uh, we or some of the information that we learned, um, some of the ways of doing things when we did Krebsy Digital um, not too long ago, uh, and apply that to our January conference. Uh, what I did find when we, we held that Krebsy Digital event was I got a ton of calls over the next several days after the conference was, yeah, we're not in person. It's kind of disappointing. However, we felt that this was a way to connect with people that we have not seen in quite some time um, to, to see this sort of a lot of that was pre-recorded. Some of it was live. Um, and to the extent that you got to see sort of the people that we all work with, um, on camera, talking about issues that are pertinent today. Um, I think people took a, a certain level of solace from it. Um, and so while we're hoping to have some in-person conferences um, in 2021, we know that January will probably be very similar to what we saw at Crepsy Digital. Um, the June conference, frankly, we're leaving it open. Um, and we'll see how that goes. Um, that would be at the Marriott. Traditionally, we have a lot of folks that are based in New York and then certainly others that are coming into New York City um, participate in that conference. Uh, to, be, to be honest, we don't. Um, if you had to ask me today whether that was in person or not, I would say not. Um, it's still just too unclear. It's in New York. Um, you know, it's, it's a city that's going under some significant stress on its own. And so um, I suspect that if we were to do anything um, in person, it would be much later um, in 2021, if not 2022. I almost heard a little bit of a silver lining. It's almost like some of your members were saying, yes, this was a virtual event that you know we just went through, but uh, we got a lot out of it. I, I know at a lot of those conferences, any conference in any industry, there's just a lot of socialization and talking that goes on in the hallways. People often don't sit down and actually actually listen to a lot of the speakers. So yep. maybe we can see a little bit of silver lining to the content and the delivery of, you know, cutting edge concepts and discussions. Right. And, and I think what we've all learned is that we can not only learn to live um, with the technology, we can significantly benefit from it. And so to the extent that, you know, you did have those moments of connection with folks in the industry, um, it was a, a fairly easily digestible conference in that it wasn't two hours of sitting in front of a, the Zoom machine. Um, and, and yet it did fill in, I think, gaps that people are truly missing. And so it makes me very hopeful, too, for when you do and when we do have um, in-person events again, that we'll see people come back. Um, although I think what's interesting um, from my seat is that do we, what happens after COVID? Do we 
emerge and go exactly back to where we were in terms of the way in which we get together and gather and exchange information and have a drink and relax and talk to people as, you know, just from a human being perspective. Um, I think it could be something that's a little closer to a hybrid between um, a virtual event and an in-person event. And, and that's, not a, that's not related to health issues. I just think that's, you know, much focused on do people want to, you know, spend the money to travel across the country to come to an event? Um, maybe some people do, maybe some people don't. In the past, that meant you didn't get to participate if you didn't want to travel to Miami or travel to New York, as the case is, um, for CREPC. So uh, I suspect that when we come out of this, that we'll find that there are those who want to plow right back into doing virtual, I mean, in of doing something that's a little, you know, in between. Well, speaking of CREFC events, we're going to talk in a, towards the end of the show about the CREFC Virtual Fitness Fundraiser, which is a very successful event that's going on right now in October. Um, but before we get there, let's talk about a couple of hot topics in the CREFC world, things that are, you know, facing uh, a lot of lenders, a lot of borrowers, a lot of equity sources, everybody involved in the capital stack. I, I think one of those one of those big topics is borrower relief. I mean, yeah. you've got borrowers all over the country that are not in their office spaces, not operating their hotels, not leasing up the space that they've spent years accumulating and investing in. And we've got legislation, we've got things that are being done by the lenders unilaterally to try to help the borrowers with the problem that they're that they're facing. What is CREFC doing at the cutting edge of borrower relief and what what can our listeners be mindful of? Yeah. Um I think that uh, that's a great question and one I'm, I'm really actually pleased that you asked because to me, the way in which borrower relief has evolved is like, it's a very hopeful and positive story. Um, although I will cut to the punchline and say, our sense of whether borrower relief comes sooner than later, um, I was much more optimistic a few months ago that something would, would, be, uh, would materialize. Um, I suspect that if something does materialize, we need to get through the elections. We probably need to see our way through to um, to 2021 um, and have this um, sort of silly season behind us. Um, to the extent, though, that the conversation between the bar trade associations and ANIC on, on everyone's part. Um, but I think what we quickly learned that we are going to do better in this if we can act together and in unison um, the unity that I think so far we've been able to display working with the bar trade associations uh, who have been really wonderful and, and recognizing that, yes, we may all be on sort of at times perceived opposing sides. In this situation, we all need to pull together to try to see if we can't find some borrower relief um, in some, some venue. And, and clearly, you know, we had the HOPE Act um, very early on that came out of the House and uh, Congressman Taylor. And, you know, we applaud his efforts. Um, in retrospect, we think that that was probably a little too weedy 
and and rather than sort of think about the macro positive impact of something this could have, we all kind of got enmeshed in sort of the details. Um, and so that really didn't find its way to the surface. Um, we do have a bill, a similar bill um, in the Senate right now that's a lot simpler and allows for sort of the program should it emerge um, to kind of be filled out by sort of the those who, who pass it. So normally what you do is you kind of pass the concept and then you kind of put the meat on the bones, if you will, um, as it relates to the details of how it would work. Um, and, and so in doing that, we've kind of tried to approach it from not only just a CMBS perspective, but also a just any lender perspective and any borrower perspective. Um, it's, I think that this is a highly charged um, sort of a, a political environment right now where it's difficult to get folks to focus on this particular area. I will highlight, in my view, many, many sectors have been helped by the federal government um, and almost everything that has been stood up by the government um, excludes commercial real estate, either by specifically saying so or creating requirements that simply don't fit for our market. Um, and so I applaud Real Estate Roundtable. Jeff DeBoer spoke um, in a hearing and highlighted some of that. Um, but so far, we have not seemed to gain any real traction, and it's certainly for not lack of trying from a variety of groups. What I hear you saying is borrowers, lenders, everybody needs to band together and come up with a solution to get the commercial real estate finance dollars back on track, back flowing, back doing what they're supposed to do to help development and all things commercial real estate finance continue to go forward. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, it take a step of step back from our own individual, the finance, the owner, the borrowers, the lenders, you know, the commercial real estate sector writ large um, is a significant component of the U.S. economy. Um, to ignore it or to feel that you cannot help them because you've determined as a government that you're not going to help individual sectors of the market, um, there are certain markets that are big enough where they must be paid attention to, and I would argue that this is a market that, uh, that falls into that category. So perhaps um, what we'll find is that when we come out the other end of the current elections and in January, that there'll be a, a greater focus on those sectors that are truly lagging, that need assistance. You know, and at the end of the day, these are borrowers that have been harmed um, through no fault of their own. Uh, and yet, you know, there are still sectors of the, com the you know, of the country that are that are locked down. And and if they didn't did come out of lockdown, you know, who knows during the winter months that this could be sort of the second surge. And again, they will be unable to open. And uh, you know, certain sectors like retail, um, it's 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 sort of the double whammy. They had been under significant pressure even prior to COVID. Um, so that's accelerating. And the hotel sector, on the other hand, you know strong, right, going into COVID. Um, so we will continue to work with other trades, to talk to regulators, to talk to legislators about what can be done. Um, and and hopefully, you know, it'll be more of a positive outcome in, in 2021. I heard you using the pronoun we several times when talking about legislation that's going through. Crefsey has a whole team of, of, do I call them lobbyists? Is that right? We, we have a... a, a an amazing government relations team 
Um, in fact, they were, we were just talking to our IG investors this morning about LIBOR, which I would like to talk about. But thank you for bringing that up because, you know, behind me are so many more smarter people, right? They're all focused on various aspects of both the regulatory side and the legislative side. Um, and, and they are working hard every day. I think it's probably true for the entire industry. You know, what used to be um, on a good week, a 60-hour kind, of kind of a week, um, is something very different these days. You know, it's kind of from, from sun up, sun down, and then some. Um, and that's across the industry. But certainly the government relations team here at, uh, at CREPC has been at it. Um, on the borrower relief, it's been mostly on the legislative front. Um, and then, you know, in other areas like the LIBOR transition, um, that has been very much focused uh, uh, on the regulatory team and, um, and, well, on, and the research. On behalf of all the listeners, we want to thank CREFC and that government relations team for helping the country navigate, you know, this past six, six or eight months. It has been a unique and, and trying time, and, and you have done a lot all of Crefcy and and the members and that that team have done a lot to to help the government and uh the industry as a whole stay on track and get back on track so thank you for that oh, thank you and if, if I could just interject the one one thing I would say and I'll I'll talk about LIBOR but what's always attracted me to Crefcy before sitting in this seat was that we talk about it and there are slogans that people use all the time for all sorts of things but when we say that CREPSI is member-driven, it is, we're, we're being very, very specific. Everything that the GR team does, everything that I do, um, everything we do on the education front comes directly from our members, from our board, from our executive committee, for the other 40 different committees that, you know, basically govern all of the various sectors of our business, and so our forums. And, and that's what makes, I think, CREPSI very different than some other organizations. Not better, not worse, just very different. But it does allow us to know where we need to be and who we need to support um, and when. And so that, to me, is the key difference that CREPSI offers versus um, versus some others. So, LIBOR? I got, goose, I got goosebumps when you were talking. I, it, it is so clear <laughs> you are passionate about this, and you are the best person to be at the helm right now and keeping this this going forward and in a very unique time. So thank you thank for you, that. Bro. Let's let's talk about lender relief, right? There's a, everybody's <laughs> talked about and heard about LIBOR replacement. LIBOR's going away. You know the world's going to end. You know there's there's got to be a solution out there. But there's a lot of loan documents that are out there right now that were originated, you know, what, three, five, seven years ago, floating rate paper that's that's older paper, and it has no discussion about LIBOR replacement. And it, 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 what is being done with the, the legislative branch, and what's Crefcy involved in that's cutting edge? Because I, I think we have a deadline towards the end of 2021, don't we, to right. try right. to – uh, phase out the, the the LIBOR language and get a replacement rate. SOFR being that the secured overnight fund rate. Tell us tell us what's cutting edge there. Sure. Um, so Crepsi has has been toiling in the uh, the LIBOR to SOFR salt mines for a bit now. Um, we are on the Fed's Alternative Reference Rate Committee, and we co-chair the Securitization Working Group within the ARC within the Fed's ARC um, with FFA. 
Um, I, I think to some extent SFA probably has more of a challenge than we do in that we are focused on mostly single asset, single bar, CMBS, and then CRE CLOs. Um, and that's all business to business. Um, SFA has a lot of consumer-related um, assets that are floating rate that will convert to uh, SOFR at some point. So uh, LIBOR is expected to uh, cease to exist at year-end 2021. However, there has been some, um, some rumors from the Financial Conduct Authority in the UK that it could be sooner. Um, to the extent this weekend is going to be a real important one and is that all of the derivatives markets are going to move from LIBOR to SOFR. And that's a good thing because when that happens, there'll be a significant uptake of usage of SOFR as opposed to LIBOR. Um, and it hopefully will allow us to create a term rate sooner than later um, for SOFR. Um, I think we're, as a, as a sector of the business, of the market, um, the, the commercial real estate markets generally have some decent fallback language that folks have started to incorporate within, the, say, the last 12 to 18 months. Has everyone done that? I don't think so. But I think a good portion of our market has indeed um, incorporated that fallback language. And that was part of the work that we did with the Fed was to develop this language to say, okay, and, and after much, much negotiation, discussion with our members to say, does this fallback language make sense? And if you use these components, you should be covered, not to mention just you'll have this sort of more liquid move from LIBOR to SOFR. Um, it's not without its, uh, without its trials. And to your point, there are a lot of um, older transactions out there that are silent, have always worked under the assumption very early on that New York State legislation would be needed given how many contracts reside in New York um, to, to pr provide for fallback. So you don't have lawsuits flying because you've chosen SOFR versus something else or you chose something that somebody doesn't like. Um, and so to the extent that we were hoping that New York State would step up on that, unfortunately, because of COVID, um, I think the New York State legislature is, is very much focused on many other things. Um, so to the good, what we're starting to see, there's a, uh, a Sherman bill that looks very, very good. Um, in the House that would allow for legislation to speak to those silent contracts. Um, and so we're very so, hopeful that that will happen. So what I hear you're saying, and I'm not familiar with this, um, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but the legislation that your, your government relations team and you are currently working on, in the event that the language in the credit documents, the loan documents, does not speak to a replacement rate, and so for, you know, being the favored replacement rate, but yeah. in the event LIBOR goes away, in those contracts, the legislation, um, the, the bill or, or, or whatever um, legislation is, is being negotiated right now would step in and make SOFR the replacement rate. Is that right? That's correct. That's correct. So, you know, and, and, and the whole goal here is to make that transition as seamless as possible and, again, to avoid uh, lots of legal actions um, because there is because it is silent, right? Um, and so, to me, that's sort of the, the big next step um, that we need to get through uh, as, as it relates to commercial real estate. Um, uh, you know, to the good, if you think about what's floating rate in our market, it's the SASB CMBS and it's CRE CLOs. Um, and there is a good amount of flexibility 
in those deals to begin with, right? Um, and so that's helpful, but that doesn't mean to the extent that you don't have that flexibility for whatever time period you're in, that this legislation I think is going to be important. And more from a macro markets perspective, we don't want, whether it's for, I don't think it's our market, I feel like comfortable, hopefully this legislation passes. So then you have, you can put the new language in on new deals, and a lot of folks already have. Um, you can use the, the, the sort of fallback language that we've developed. Or you can, if it's silent, rely on the legislation, and, and that's a, a good thing. But if you think about it, if some of these larger markets, like the single-family market, um, all of these consumer-related debt products, if they go haywire, that's going to impact the entire financial market. And, and so it's yep. not just – it's beyond us, right? It's not just – we certainly are focused on making sure our markets are, are ready and have the proper fallback, be it with what we've you know, incorporated with the Fed or from a legislative perspective. But it's – to some extent, we worry about us, but we worry about us less than all those other markets that could truly create some chaos for a while. That's very interesting, Lisa. So thank you. One one other topic, and then we're gonna we're gonna talk about that uh, virtual fitness fundraiser that everybody's having so much fun with. Um, loan sales, the the secondary loan market, one line of business that you know is very near dear to my heart because a lot of my team members we we work on the the sale, uh, acquisition securitization, repo warehousing of commercial real estate debt, as well as the origination of those loans. But mm -hmm. during the last downturn, there was a lot of loans that, that hit the market, especially kind of following the, uh, the, the you know, the downturn in the, in the NASDAQ and the, the, the major equity yeah. markets. It, it, it took a year or two for a lot of that to ramp up. I'm seeing a lot of inventory. I saw this morning in the commercial mortgage alert, I think it's uh, Deutsche Bank has a big portfolio almost a billion dollars of um most mostly performing paper i think that they're they're going to market with it, it, are you seeing a, a lot of that is there a lot of talk about that in the industry i know towards the beginning of the covid and you know the month or two following there was a, a lot of bid ask discrepancy that was talked about right. between what loan sellers wanted to get and what the buyers were willing to pay. A lot of the buyers are wanting to get a deep discount because they see, you know, values decreasing significantly on real estate. There's a lot of warehouse lenders that are doing the margin calls on the, yep. the mark to market repo and warehouse mm -hmm. lines. You know, we've been dealing with a lot of those issues. Um, are, you are plugged in to the, to the commercial real estate finance industry and a lot of our, listeners have not been able to be as plugged in over the past six or eight months. What's going on in the secondary loan market? If, if, you know, anything you can point to in particular, what do you think, you know, the next year or two years or three years is going to look like in, in that market and what, what can we do to stay ahead of everything? Yeah. I, you know, it's very different. Um, you know, unfortunately sitting on a trading floor all during and leading up to and during the financial crisis, the great financial crisis, um, and comparing that crisis to this crisis, it is very different um, and yet has the potential to be as, you know, impactful. To the extent, though, that this time around we have, we've got to, if you look at even just the loan level data, some of the delinquency data, we got to a delinquency rate in a couple of months which took us three and a half years during the last crisis. So this has been yep, an accelerated sort of movement, right? Um, however, at that point, 
I query, you know, when you think about bid ask on loan sales, this this certainty level of how things are going to turn out, um, and you have to have a certain comfort and and internal knowledge, right, as to how that particular asset and that particular market is going to fare over the long term, and then that's where you sort of start backing into what's the right price. Um, I I suspect that there will be certain sectors where you'll be pretty good at sort of judging and gauging what's appropriate. But in other markets, it could, it could be a while, right? So I suspect that the easier asset classes, some of those that for whatever reason you have clarity on, um, you know, you'll see those bid-ask spreads tighten and you'll see probably prices do better, assuming that we can do better as an economy, right? Um, on the other, some of the other sort of unknowns, uh, uh, you know, it's it's really, I'm waiting to see the willingness, say, in the hotel sector of folks to kind of carry, one, the ability, and then the willingness to carry properties for some period of time here where the uncertainty is amazingly high, right? Um, so I, I don't know if I have an answer for you other than to say it seems to me that things are happening in an accelerated pace this time around. But I do believe that we will get to a point where, um, there'll be greater clarity, um, and where there is greater clarity, there's always better pricing. Um, and so whether that's an opportunity or not, um, it, it, it's, it's just not knowing if, you know, you get the second surge in, in January and everything shuts down again. Um, I suspect there'll be further distress, and anybody who hung on, with, you know, by their fingernails up to this point may have to, you know, walk away, and, um, and there'll be a lot more on the market. And what does that do? You know, does that increase in, you know, sort of the bid or, or is it just sort of folks walk away thinking we need things to settle down? I don't know the answer to that. But um, what we do know, there's going to be a lot of activity. It's just, I think, about timing. That's Hopefully great. that answered I, your question. Yeah. It it did. And, you know, we're all hoping for a for a fast recovery and, and you know, everybody that's, that's hurting right now to uh, uh, figure out a solution as quickly as possible. So, right. all right. Yep. Last Last topic. I don't know who came up with it at Craft C, but this is a great event that's going on in the month of October. I was approached uh, by some clients in, I think, mid to late September about this event. It's the Virtual Fitness Fundraiser, and it's a, a very unique platform that's an online platform. And I, I've heard of uh, Peloton groups that are meeting on a, you know, three or four times a week and doing an hour and a half um, <laughs> cycling in the mornings from like six to seven thirty diehard, so they can get all their steps in. But tell us, what is this virtual fitness fundraiser? It, it, my, my understanding is it's to benefit Girls Inc. I know Girls Inc. really right. well, but uh, yep. who better to tell us about this virtual fitness fundraiser than, than Lisa? <laughs> Sure, sure. And, uh, you know, maybe you and I need to have a little competition here. Um, I just looked at my, uh, you know, it's a great app and it's it's a great cause. Um, and to the extent that my steps were, I think, reasonable for this old gal, but um, my, my footprints were not. And that just tells me I've not done enough fundraising. So I'm going to be unabashedly sort of, you know, over the top here and say, please help. Anybody who's listening to this to this podcast, I want to beat Bo and a bunch of people in terms of footprints. But um, 
the good thing is I think everyone's having fun. My team is called the Fitness Protection Program. Hopefully I'm never in any other kind of protection program. Um, oh, I love it. A... I love your name. <laughs> I love your team name. <laughs> thought it was appropriate. It's cool. And, and I, I think that I'm amazed at how many people are involved. You know, each team, and there are a number of teams, and eight or nine teams it looks like, and there are a lot of folks that are involved in each of those teams. And I think people are having fun with it and, and doing something good, and it's the perfect timing. You know, more of these types of things, we all need sort of, you know, chicken soup for the soul here, and I think this fits the bill really great, and to the extent that the the, the cause is, is just the perfect one. Um, and so yeah, I want to thank everybody who's listening to this podcast. If you're involved, if you've donated, you know, we are internally great, eternally grateful for all of this. Um, it's a, uh, it's a good cause. And, and, and you guys have done an amazing amount of fundraising and we much, uh, very much appreciate it. Well, good stuff. Speaking, speaking of the other teams, I, I got to mention a couple of the team names because if any of the listeners are not involved in this yet, they should jump on the bandwagon. I think there's approaching like 300 um, individual participants that are doing the fundraising because there's a fundraising aspect. And then there's also the, the steps aspect. You log on either your Fitbit or a Garmin device and you log your steps. If you don't have a Fitbit or, or a Garmin, you just have a chart that you can um, convert whatever activity you're doing. There's like 50 or 40 different activities, and you log the steps that you do during that activity. One of the one of the activities everybody on the show knows. I love fishing. I get like 178 steps a minute, or 91 <laughs> steps a minute. I can't remember for fishing. I logged that last weekend. So, um, but some of the other team names. I, I got to run through these real quick because they are just hilarious. Um, there's yours, the Fitness Protection Plan uh, Program. SPE, Stepping Purpose Entity, The High Yielders, The Mortgage-Backed Steppers, and then one of the, the, the team that I'm on, On Your Markets, Get Step, Go. I mean, the, the creativity that's gone into this, everybody's having fun with it. People are staying connected. You know, you can um, – it's a, it's a great way to benefit a really good cause, and that's Girls, Inc. If any of the listeners don't know about Girls, Inc., um, really good organization. I think it was started in, like, 1864, right after the Civil War, to help um, girls that were under, you know, negatively affected Indeed. by everything that went on yeah. in, in the Civil War and helped helped girls and young women – um, you know, navigate life, and it, it's designed to serve and promote girls. And I think there's like 1,500 uh, individual um, centers or clubs around the, the United States and Canada that um, are all focused on, on helping young women and girls. So it is a tremendous uh, organization, and it is a fun way to support that organization. So all the listeners, I am asking you to get on and donate or get on and join the fun to either Lisa's page or Bo Biker's page. So that is that is the ask during <laughs> this podcast. Unabashedly forward request. Unabashed. And, I, and, and, you, and you all know who you are, so I will be following up with you via email and phone. There's about 5,000 of you that uh, this goes out to via, via email and um, through the podcast uh, contact app. Um, 
so that is, uh, I, I think, everything we wanted to discuss. Any any closing remarks or, or thoughts from you, Lisa? I would just ask everyone to, you know, just everyone's been wonderful, I think, during COVID. And all of our members have pulled together. And the amount of work that some of these folks put in as it relates to Krebsy, I feel like I need to send them a check every week. Um, it's it's truly, uh, it's encouraging. I think it speaks volumes to the caliber of folks who are in this business. And so, again, just thank you, all of the, the, the listeners, but also both. This has been fun. And uh, I, it's nice to start Friday morning with something fun to do. I uh, very much appreciate your uh, kind of giving me the airtime. Thank you. Yeah, we have thoroughly enjoyed having you, and uh, we look look forward to staying in touch with you. Perfect. Take care, Bo. Well, Bo, I think that was a great, great interview you had with Lisa. We are so fortunate and grateful to have the opportunity to be able to have a conversation with Lisa, especially considering it's our inaugural. Lisa covered quite a few topics that I believe most folks will be interested in listening to. I especially liked hearing about the upcoming events and their plans to maybe have a hybrid in-person and virtual style events moving forward into 2021. Certainly miss having those in-person meetings as well as um, LIBOR, their regulatory and legislative activities and the virtual fitness fundraiser I know is near and dear to your heart. Yeah, I agree. It was a it was a fun interview, and we appreciate Lisa uh, coming on the show for sure. If anyone in the audience wants to donate to the Crusty Virtual Fitness Fundraiser, I'm going to throw another plug in. Uh, shoot an email, bo.baker at acreman.com, and Amory's is anmarie.garavalia at acreman.com, and we'll get you uh, linked in there. We're happy to make an intro to you for uh, uh, to Lisa Fendergast as well. What about deal activity, Amory? I mean, it, over the summer was was a new normal. You know, a, a lot of people are just accepting that this is a new normal. But I, I know I was personally much slower over the summer than I have been. You know, probably the past six or eight years. But things for me have picked up tremendously the past several weeks and. And couple of months, really, kind of August really started picking up, and September got more, and now, I mean, we are just going as fast as we can go. How uh, how's the deal world for you right now, Amber? Atlanta uh, is experiencing the same pickup. I mean, it was as you as you know was, and um, and we were very concerned, and we prepared for you know what we expected to be you know the worst and uh, modifications forbearance and so on. And um, that didn't really happen the way we anticipated. But uh, what we are seeing now is we're seeing repo activity pick up again. Um, We have loan origination term sheets in for a variety of assets going on. Yeah, don't you uh, have like 13, don't you have like 13 term sheets for one lender right now and two or three for another lender? I mean, you you got some deals going on. how are we going to get laughing. all this I don't know. I'm not sleeping. I can tell you that. So uh, my kids have Uber Eats app on their phone. That's how they're going to eat. Uh, because uh, not to mention the uh, the equity deal that came in that um, has 12 properties, three states, and I have um, eight days to uh, to get it closed. So really, no problem. 
plenty of time. We'll figure it out. Eight days is a world of time in the in the real estate capital markets, right, Amory? Well, when you have the when you have the A team, it, it's not a problem. So oh, I love somebody it. like I somebody like it. me who doesn't need to sleep. So sleep's very overrated. We'll be all right. We're excited. Well, we We're look. Happy. Yeah. yeah. Well, we look forward to seeing everyone next month on the next episode of Stacked Up. Stacked Up.